So, you guys doing all right? Everybody good? Yeah. yeah? All right. So I've got this microphone. They gave me a new microphone, and I have just mangled it. I don't know what I did back there, guys, but we're going to try to make it through this service without pulling my ear off. Uh, but anyway, so uh, we're going to get back to God in just a minute. But first, I want to kind of talk to you about something we're discovering around here while I mess with this mic. Um, we, we actually, uh, we didn't discover, we kind of made aware of it. There's this thing happening on social media, and I kind of want to talk about it today. And uh, yeah, to, rather than tell you about it, we just found these. We went on social media and actually found these. Check this out and see what, see what you see it has in common. Go ahead. Yeah, okay, nice. Okay, okay, yeah. Hmm. These are actual ones we found. Hashtag blessed. Hmm. What did you think of most of those? They make you feel like those people were blessed or just kind of make you jealous? <laughs> so, all right. So we're going to get back to God now. I want to talk about what it means to be blessed and hashtag blessed. And we're going to get back to God. And this is just something we do as a church family. If you're a guest, don't worry about it. And uh, so here's the deal. Um, so I, I was reading recently, and I honestly can't remember what book was in it. I, I, would, I would give credit to the author probably, and uh, because I want you to know I'm just quoting when I say what I'm about to say. Uh, so I was reading this book, and he had noticed this uh, same phenomena, and he'd actually seen one, and it was, and I'm quoting now, it was a young lady with a booty shot. I don't know exactly what that is, but I, I, yeah, I can kind of figure that out. And it said, hashtag blessed. And so I, 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 when I was reading I went there, I, Hmm, does that, hmm, what, hmm. I wasn't quite sure what to do with that because I, I, was, I was like, really? So let me get this straight. You think that God specifically and uniquely gave you that particular part of your body so that you could take a picture of it and broadcast it on social media to thousands of people in order to bring glory to his name. Is that? <laughs> no? See, I didn't think so either. And so when I was, I was thinking about this, I was thinking that is just, and I'm starting to get a little, you know, a little righteous indignation worked up. You're like, well, well you know, <laughs> you can't use that word that way. And, and I began to think about it. And actually, actually, she doesn't know it. They don't know it. But they might actually be using that word correctly. It's like, what? Let me explain. Because this is what I, this is kind of what dawned on me. So when we think of the word blessed, we think of having some special favor from God, right? That we, we have received some special favor from God and that we are blessed, right? That we're gra- grateful and that we're thankful and we almost always, almost always associate it with uh, God having given us a gift. Now, let me give you the etymology of the word blessed. In the Old Testament, that's exactly what it means. The, the Hebrew word in the Old Testament means um, something from God that God has somehow blessed or shown favor to someone, right? You think about Jesus' birth, and, and Mary was blessed. That's what the angels are, you were blessed. And that's how the Old Testament word was used. And that's how we continue to think about it. Now, in the New Testament, it actually means the same thing. Uh, and and, there are, and it can all, it's not always just God to man. Sometimes we can bless each other. We'll talk about that next week or the week after. But uh, in the New Testament, it's kind of used the same way. But here is where they could be right. Because if you look at that word, makarios, in the Greek, in secular Greek literature, ancient Greek literature, pre-New Testament, 
extra biblical, they would use that word as of having a state of being or an experience that only the gods would have experienced. Only the gods would experience. So I'm having such a great day, I must be blessed. I am having a day that only a god could experience. All right? So in that sense. Now, follow me. If, if this person who posted the particular picture or talked about being so blessed that they had a better weekend than the rest of us or a faster airplane or an airplane at all, I guess, um, that, that they are blessed because of that, uh, if we were to allow ourselves to think of our top priority as being our God. So you think, well, what do you mean? So at the beginning of Scripture, we find that God says, It'll be shown, there shall be no other gods before me. Now, is that an indication that there are all kinds of gods running around and that that, that particular God thinks you should be uh, loyal to him? No, there's only one God, true God. There's only the creator God, Father God, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's only one God. But Scripture teaches us that anything that becomes more important to us than that God becomes a God to us. We have made it a God, small g. It, it is not a God. It is not a supernatural being. It is to us a God because that is who we serve, who we worship. You say, well, what do you mean? All right. So if you make the most important thing in your life beauty, then, then um, and we've all seen the, 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 the people who have gone to extreme plastic surgery, right? Well, they were serving their God. The most important thing to them was beauty or this pursuit of what they thought was beauty. We've all known a businessman or woman who is so committed to making money or climbing the corporate ladder that that has become God to them. They will sacrifice their, their ethics. They will sacrifice their health and sometimes even their family to please that God of greed or achievement or whatever it is. And if for this young lady, her, her God is beauty or sexiness or notoriety, then indeed that she would perceive in essence that she is blessed. The problem is that her God can't bless her. Do you understand what I'm saying? Beauty can't make you beautiful because it's not an entity, it's an idea. And so she's not really blessed, but she might think so because she's serving her God. You follow me at all? Are you with me? And so I want to talk about idolatry. Some, some um, theologians suggest that most of Scripture is just one long encouragement to avoid idolatry. And so you're thinking, how are we idolatrous? We don't have little statues that we worship or anything. But idolatry is anything that takes the place of Jesus Christ as your Savior, that you put your hope in to make your life everything you ever dreamed it could be. The thing that you put your trust in, that can be a God to you. And here is the good news. You're not alone. We all struggle with this. Here's the bad news. We're all going to struggle with this until we die. That's the bad news. Because the picture is more like, I don't know if you guys, they still play this. It's probably too violent to play now. But it was a lot of fun. King of the Hill. Do they still play King of the Hill? Are not allowed to play that anymore? We should bring it back. I mean, with helmets and elbow pads, of course. But there is in our life something always trying to climb to the top of our list of what we love the most, what we worship, what we serve. There's always something trying to make its way there. And a part of the Christian life is to be aware of that and to keep putting them back in the right place. Here's a really sneaky part of it. Some of them are evil like self-destructive things like addiction, pornography, these kinds of things. We know to knock those off the hill completely. But others are not evil. Others are actually pretty good things. But in the wrong spot, they can become a god to us, small g, like our marriage even, or our children, or our job. Jobs are a good thing, but if that's the most important thing. So here's the thing. There is God, 
and then there are lesser gods. I don't mean supernatural beings, I mean priorities. And these lesser gods, these lesser things give lesser blessings. So when you seek as your, so the difference is that God is the ultimate God, is real God, is the only true God, everything else is something less. And God's blessing, our ultimate blessings, everything else is something temporary and shallow by comparison. Marriage is great, it's good, but it's only going to last this lifetime, right? So it is less than. And so if we seek to make a lesser God the ultimate thing in our life, we will always fall short. So we'll talk more about that in a moment. So I want to talk about those things that crawl to the top, and, and we might be tempted to think that we are blessed when we're just settling for a temporary kind of lesser kind of thing. So in Romans, uh, in, in chapter 1, and in verses uh, 21 and, and through 25, let me just read that for you real quick. It says this, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. In other words, they were too busy seeking after other things, and I'll say where the other things are here in a moment, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. In other words, they were so kind of not open to the idea of God that, that they just got darker and darker. In verse 22, although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. In other words, these are actual idols, like material idols. Uh, so, in, in, in this he says, Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to their sexual impurity. So this particular thing he's referring to is, is thinking that sex is going to be the thing that makes your life great, um, outside of marriage, uh, for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They, here's the critical one. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and they worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. They worshiped created things. So if anything that gets to the top of your list is a created thing, you are going to end up unhappy and disappointed. Well, what's created? Everything but God. <laughs> your wife is created. Your husband is created. Your kids are created. Your house is created. Your car is created. Your bank account is created. It's all created. They are not worthy of worship. And I, I think it's interesting. He uses this word fool. Uh, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thing became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Remember the, the, the parable that Jesus told about the guy who was very successful in farming and he had so much grain stored up, which is about security and it's about wealth and it's about achievement. And he says, I'm going to build bigger barns. And Jesus' point in the parable is, you fool, because you got all this stuff, but what if you died tonight? Who gets the stuff and what did you waste your life on? And so one of the things that we need to realize is that we have this opportunity and are called even to serve God for ultimate blessings and not lesser things for lesser blessings. So let's just talk about that. So it's nice theory. Let's, let's get down to practical here. What are some of the, the, the lesser gods, quote unquote, the other things would try to climb to the top of our deal? So oftentimes we can discover them in our daydreams. I, I've always thought that daydreaming was good. At least I convinced myself of that in school when I wasn't listening to the teacher, paying attention. I was daydreaming. That was me encouraging and giving myself the freedom to be creative. They didn't see it that way. I always thought it had to do with something about my creative ability or whatever it was. And I realized that uh, I read a quote. It's a number of years ago. I read a quote. I wrote it down. I have it on my desk today. And it is this. Um, daydreaming leads to discontent. Really? I always thought it was good. You know, mind going free, you know. Daydreaming leads to discontent because here's what happens in our daydream. When your mind doesn't have to think about something, 
I'm going to suggest you. Just, I just want you to imagine the last time your mind didn't have to think about something. You were driving, you were doing something else. Your mind didn't have, where did it go? It probably went to something you wanted, something you were afraid of. Something, it went somewhere. I bet almost nobody's mind just on its own went to, God is so good. I'm just so grateful he's done this for me. I mean, it should go that way. It, it, God deserves that, but we don't often go that way. Daydreaming is oftentimes about something that we don't even realize is trying to climb to the top of our list. It usually goes to something along the lines of, if only. If only I had that. If only I knew them. If only I uh, made that much money. If only. And that is a temptation to worship a created thing, whatever that thing is. Another way that we can see in our lives that there are things trying to scramble to the top of our list is uh, on the other end of it, not our daydreams, but our nightmares. What would be the thing in life if it was taken away from you, it would just destroy you? Because as Christians, we know that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. That's the ultimate thing. And if there's a lesser thing that could be taken away from you, it will destroy you. Now, none of us wants to get health problems. None of us wants to lose a spouse or a child. Certainly, that's, that would be sick to want that, right? We don't want that, but it doesn't have to destroy us because it's not an ultimate thing. If we lose something that is created and we are committed to God in relationship with God, my ultimate thing is still on track. I'm still in relationship with God. My eternity is still secure in Him. And yes, it's going to be painful. And I'm not going to ignore that or walk away from it. And yet it is not an ultimate thing. Do you understand the difference? What is that thing? Well, if one of my children died, I would just destroy me. I could well, that would be awful. I agree. I, I, you know, I struggle with those fears as well. But at the end of the day, that's not the ultimate thing. I can't worship my children. God's still in control. Some of the most powerful people I know are people who have lost someone close to them and still trusted God. And they have a depth of faith that I, 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 I can't even imagine having. So sometimes it has to do with a daydream. Sometimes it has to do with nightmares. Sometimes it has to do with uncontrolled emotions, anger. Oftentimes, anger comes from us having the wrong thing at the top of our priority list, having a lesser God, if you will. There's very few things that God does that actually makes us angry, that God actually does. And even in those, it's usually a false concept about what God's will is. There are times we be angry at God. You read the psalmist, angry at God. We can be angry at God. That's not a problem. But most of the time, we're angry because we have the wrong God. So maybe it's anger, maybe it's fear, maybe it's something else. And if you'll stop to realize what is on the top of your list, what is that thing that you are serving, that you're loving, that you're committed to, it's the wrong thing. And it, and it sets us off in the wrong direction. So let's think about this, this idea of um, hashtag blessed. Because I think we are blessed, and I think that if we can understand that um, and understand what blessing is, it'll change our lives. So uh, we just saw some hashtag blessed because I got a big boat, because I had a better weekend than you, because whatever, all right? We just saw that. Let me uh, read a passage or just reference a passage found in, in, in Matthew 5. It's called the Beatitudes. And Jesus seemed to think that being blessed was about some other things. Here are the kinds of things that Jesus said uh, the, that would happen with people who are blessed. Um, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are merci the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the persecuted. Put that on your uh, social media. I'm having a terrible day. My people are making fun of me for being a Christian. Hashtag blessed. <laughs> right? I just had to break up a fight between my brother and sister. Hashtag blessed. See, 
as, as in almost all cases, God's idea of what it means to be blessed is very different than ours. It's very different because it's about eternity. It's not about temporary things. Because lesser blessings are temporary and shallow. God's blessings are for eternity. As a matter of fact, there's a, a point in, in James where it talks about if we will persevere, then uh, we will have eternal blessings. That's a part of what we're supposed to look to. So let's think about this. What do you do if you find false gods have, have risen to the top of your priority list? That you are worshiping, expecting something out of, out of uh, a created thing that just can't happen. What, what do you do with that? What do you do with that? Well, you put it on the altar. What in the world does that mean? So there is this, uh, there is this great story in Genesis, Genesis 22. And, it is, and it's a disturbing story, actually. It makes a lot of people think that there is no God or that God is unfair. But you've got to understand the story. So the story is Abraham. You guys remember Abraham? So Abraham is this guy that God picks to be a blessing to all of humanity for the rest of, uh, rest of human history. And he says to Abraham, I want you to get up and go. And I am going to bless you. As a matter of fact, through your descendants, I am going to bless all of humanity. And so Abraham gets up and he goes. The problem is he didn't have any descendants. And he's getting older. His wife's getting older. They're expecting this. And, and no kids. No kids going on. No kids. There's a whole kind of long trust kind of thing going on there with God. And then finally, to make a long story shorter, he has a son. His name is Isaac. And so how exciting. Finally, the son is here. God's going to be able to bless him and bless all those that come after him. It's so great. And then God does just the weirdest thing. God says to Abraham, I want you to sacrifice Isaac. What? I want you to take him up on a mountain, build an altar, and sacrifice him. Now, you and I are just going, well, that's just crude. That's just wrong. Well, let me, let me give you a little context, Okay. First of all, child sacrifice was probably not unheard of in the ancient world. But secondly, Abraham, there's a lot of commentaries about this, and I happen to like Tim Keller's idea of this. Abraham understood what was happening. So what was happening was, and, and if you read it, you'll see it, this was a test. God was testing Abraham because Abraham knew some things. Abraham not only loved his son, he truly, father, son, love, family love, he loved him, but he also loved that his, in, 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 the, in a kind of a family-oriented society, not an individualistic society like we live in, family-oriented society, your name, your family name to live on for generations was kind of the deal. That was kind of the point. So when God promised him this legacy, um, he really believed in that. And he loved his son, and he loved the possibility that his son would be the one who set up this legacy. And so what God is actually asking him is, Abraham, do you love this kid and the legacy more than you love me? That's what he's testing him in. That's what he's trying to find out. There is a sense that Abraham knows God well enough to trust him. His son said, Dad, well, what's going to happen? He says, God will figure it out. So he's trusting God, and he's being obedient, even when he can't fully figure out everything that's going on. And so just before he's going to sacrifice his son, God didn't let him sacrifice his son. God's not into sacrifice of children. Obviously, he says, wait, stop. Now that I know you love me more than you love this child, we can get on with it. He had to clarify that. One of the things that we have to do, whether it is, in, it's, by the way, Scripture says if that thing climbed to the top of your, of your heap uh, in terms of your love and your uh, um, uh, um, inspiration, aspirations, all this kind of if that's an evil thing, kill it. The Bible says kill it. But if it is not, then put it in the right place. So like an addiction, do your best to kill it with God's help. Just get rid of it. But if it is 
commitment to your children or your marriage, you just need to put it in the right place. Uh, and so there is this principle of willingness that needs to happen. We look at our lives, and if we're honest with ourselves, we will know what that thing that tempts us is, whether it's greed or if it's overly uh, kind of expectation about our children, thinking they're going to fill all the spots that we didn't have growing up, whatever it is. If we recognize those things, and, and if you don't, ask the Holy Spirit to show you, because we all have them. If we will recognize those things, then we can deal with them. John Burke, who was here a year and a half ago at our summer of somebody's, John is a pastor and author, and uh, he spoke here. He tells about his conversion at UC Santa Barbara, and he was, he was a good student, but he was also kind of a party guy. His dad was very successful, so he just intended to graduate, get his grades thing done, and just make a lot of money and be happy. And then he became a Christian. But the problem was he became a Christian, but he didn't stop being a party guy. And I don't mean like just, you know, just going and saying hi to your friends at, at a restaurant. I mean party stuff that's really outside of God's plan and very self-destructive. And he, and he said, during the week, I was a good Christian guy, but during the weekends, I was a party guy. And he said, on one Friday night, I came back from partying, and I went to do my prayers, because even when I was drunk, I was still committed to my prayer time. And, and so he began to pray to God, and by halfway through the prayers, all of a sudden, he just looked up and went, oh my gosh, God, you're not buying this, are you? He says, we both know I'm going to do it again next Friday night, don't we? He says, I don't want to be that guy, but I really want to do that, but I don't want to be that guy. God, you know, I don't want to be that guy, but you know, I really want to do that. Help me not be that guy. And he said in that moment, he couldn't overcome these kind of desires to go do this other stuff. For whatever reason he felt he wanted to do those, he couldn't overcome that, but he knew that God could. There's a wonderful passage of Scripture with the guy who says, Lord, I believe. Now help me in my unbelief. <laughs> I don't want to be that guy, but I can't stop being that guy. And so one of the things we do is we come to this position of willingness. God, I don't want to give in. I don't want to let other things get between me and you. I don't want to let other things become lesser gods to me. But I don't have the wherewithal within myself to stop it. Lord, please help me. And it starts with a willingness to allow God to work in our lives. The second step I'd recommend, by the way, is getting into a structure of other people can help you, whether it's a small group or it's 12-step or whatever, depending on what it is, some other relationships that can help you. But that first step is this principle of willingness. Am I willing to overcome the lesser gods of my life? So what are the blessings? And, and uh, I'm, I'm out of time, and I'm, I'm going to finish this up next week, uh, this particular thing. But let me just give you uh, just some quick ones. So, so I'm going to talk about what it means to truly be blessed. But just things like love. We have elevated romantic love to a point where it's not possible for romantic love to live up to everything we expect from it. It is not possible for any other human being to meet all of our love needs because those love needs can only be met by perfect love. And your spouse doesn't have perfect love because you don't have perfect love because none of us do. Only God does. So if you want love, you think that's your ha uh, happily ever after, it is. But in relationship with God, he will give you true love. That's a, that is what it means to be blessed. How about our contentment? Because we're always wanting more. Our whole economic situation, our whole capitalism and consumerism is based on that. But what if I realize that God loves me unconditionally, and I've been doing my best, and I've been working hard, and this is where God has me right now? Can I be okay with that? Because that thing I buy or that thing I achieve isn't going to make me any happier because what makes me happy, what brings me joy, what is meaningful is my relationship with God. Can I be okay right here where God has me right now? And then what about security? Security is a big deal. Physical security, security for retirement, whatever it is. So I can trust God to forgive everything I've ever done wrong. I can trust him to guide me and lead me in the present. I can also trust him with the outcomes. I'm doing my best. I'm trusting God. I am a person who is loved by God. Therefore, I can trust him with the outcomes. I am secure. Nothing can rob me of the love of God. That's what scripture teaches us. 
There's another great story in Scripture, and it's found in uh, Genesis 32, and it's the story of Jacob, and I'll quickly give that to you. Jacob is a rascal. There's just no other way to say it. He's just a rascal. Cheated his brother out of his dad's blessing. Then he decided, well, that didn't make me happy. I'm going to go get, I'm going to get a woman and fall in love. That'll be a happily ever after. It didn't turn out to be such a happily ever after deal. And we find him in chapter 32. He is, it's all coming due. All the bills are coming due. All the mess ups, all the scoundrel years are going to catch up with him because his brother's coming to meet him the next day. And from his perspective, he's coming with an army. And his brother has every right to do that. And we find that Jacob wrestles with this man all night. And what's interesting about this, and don't get hung up on too many things, but if you understood the story in, in the context, he wrestles with the man all night, and he can't seem to gain an edge over the other man. And then just as the sun is coming up, this other man with a power that he had not displayed up to that point, just and the, the original language says just touched, just poked his hip and knocked it out of socket, which is kind of revealing because this other man all along had the power to take him out. And so Jacob, in wrestling with him, if you can kind of put yourself in his place, he's thinking, this guy had power all along, and he didn't take me out. Why didn't he take me out? And why is he kind of doing that now? He knocked my hip out. I'm going to be, I'm going to be wounded for life. Why does he do that? And then he realized the sun is coming up, and the man he's wrestling was not a man at all. It's God. And because he knew that if you could look God in the face, you would, you would just disintegrate. That's original Hebrew, disintegrate, vaporize. Not really. It's die. But... Um, and he realizes that because he's about to see God, and that's why God is now saying, okay, we're done wrestling. I'm going I'm to mess with you. I'm going to mess your hip up so you're going to quit. And, and so what does he do? Rascal Jacob. If it were me, I would let go and, oh my gosh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Give me that. He hangs on to God as if, because God let him hang on. God could have taken not only his hip, but his head if he wanted to right off. He hangs on to God and he says, I will not let you go until you bless me. What in the world does that mean? Remember, he started off his rascal years by cheating his brother out of his father's blessing. He had been searching for something through true love, through this dad's approval, through all this stuff he had never found. And in this moment, something happened. Because here's what happened. Jacob goes in that moment, he goes from being Jacob the rascal to changing his name. God changed his name to Israel. Sounds familiar? To being the ancestor of the kingdom of God on earth throughout the entire Old Testament all the way up to our time spiritually. He was that guy. He went from rascal to founder in that moment. And what happened? Because God blessed him. Well, what does a blessing mean? A blessing is a verbal thing. It happens. We don't know what God said to him. But whatever God said to him was so powerful, it not only changed his name, but it changed his ways. And he became the foundation of the Old Testament nation of Israel, which led to Christ. So what's the picture here? The picture here is, are a couple of things. This blessing may be the thing that we've been looking for all along. There are lots of other blessings, but the blessing we're looking for may be very much what happened to Jacob. It might sound something like this. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. That's what the father said over Jesus. Do you remember that? It might sound something like this. Well done, good and faithful servant. That's what the parable teaches that we will hear when we get to heaven if we've been faithful to Christ. You see, the thing you're looking for, the affirmation you're looking for, the encouragement, the, the understanding of who you are is from God, your heavenly Father, your creator, who looks at you and says, I love you. You're on track. You're doing good. 
That's what we're all seeking to hear. That's what we, because our ultimate worth can't be found in any of the things or any of the people or anything created. Our ultimate worth is only found in the one who created us and understanding that he loves us, not in spite of ourselves. He just loves us, period, and that we are valuable to him. And with that kind of affirmation, we can approach all this other stuff differently because we don't need so much from it anymore. By the way, most people who kind of come to some place like this, we need to be reminded of it often, but most people who do that are like Jacob and they walk with a limp. Because most of us won't humble ourselves enough to let God speak that to our heart until we're in enough pain. <laughs> until we're in so much pain we could reach into this or that or the other thing thinking it's the thing we need. When we're finally at the end of our rope and the end of our resources, the end of our plan and our strategy to make it all happen, it's at that point we finally listen and allow God to say, you are my child and I love you and I have you there for a reason. Trust me. And when we hear that affirmation, everything else begins to make sense. But you'll never get that affirmation from anyone or anything else, only from the one who was not created, the creator. The next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about what it looks like to truly be blessed, to live out that affirmation, and to live a life of gratitude and impact and meaning. And I hope you'll be here for it. Let's pray. Lord God, today, um, there are some of us in this room who do walk with a limp and who have emotional and spiritual scars. Some of us have that and we didn't ever hear your voice in the midst of it. But there are some of us who have and we heard you say clearly that we're your children, that we are forgiven, that we are loved, that we are reconciled and that you have the end in mind and we can trust you. And when that happens, Lord, let us never ever forget that. Lord God, I pray for anybody in this room who's walking with a limp today, who's been wounded, who's carrying the scars of rejection or betrayal or hopelessness, that in this moment you would speak that affirmation, that you would truly bless their heart in such a way that at the deepest part of them they know and they are at peace. Lord, let us live with that peace every single day. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.